0: Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning shop now in
1: store or online Kroger fresh for everyone. This is John Middlecoff from three and out with John Middlecoff superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts. eBay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay guaranteed fit, Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time, or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
2: The volume. Could he do that? Are you on Donate to- What? Charles Darwin.
1: The Nerds is where it's at.
3: Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever, and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to be giving some of our biggest NBA draft takeaways, discussing the biggest winners, the biggest losers of the night, and some of the teams whose drafts really just interested us. Shout out to everybody who watched along for our draft live stream through the lottery last night. That was super fun having Colin and Jason on and all of you guys following along with us today. Now get our full zoomed out perspective the day after on both rounds, all these teams, how we feel that they did. So Logan, we're going to start by discussing our winners. Who did you think first crushed
1: this draft? I'll start with an easy one, and that's the Charlotte Hornets. I thought had a tremendous draft, and uh, they've been winners in years previous, Carson. I think the Hornets have done a phenomenal job uh, in the past couple years getting really good talent that I really like uh, at the top of the draft. That's the one thing that concerns me. Uh, The Hornets do not have a great track record of developing any of this young talent or really giving them opportunities and seeing what they can do on the stage, but There's certainly a lot of uh, a lot of young talent in Charlotte cumulatively that I like Uh, on drafts previous. I'm referring to guys like Mark Williams, uh, who I like, who I think could be a really good dominant uh, interior presence at the five for them. Uh, James Booknight, Kai Jones, I think are all guys that they've done a good job with in the past in this one. I think they get the outright second best player in this draft class and Brandon Miller. Uh, And I thought that Jason uh, again, uh, thanks to him for coming on the show. I thought he did a great job of breaking down the different archetypes and How they're conducive to winning, I just think the Brandon Miller archetype is a uh, better one to bank on, the star-scoring wing. And I think it fits the Hornets a little better, too. Again, you're slotting in an elite catch-and-shooter, nearly a 40% uh, three-point shooter last season at Alabama, uh, next to LaMelo Ball, one of the best young playmakers in basketball. I think Brandon's going to be an elite defender in any role you stick him in point of attack, off ball as a help side rim protector. He's got all the physical tools there. He's got a really nice fluid handle where I think he has upside as a uh, primary initiator, and on-ball creator. Uh, I just really like the fit, and I think Brandon Miller uh, is a freak of an athlete too. I think he's got real chance to be a... Uh, a star scoring wing that's, you know, averaging 20 points a game uh, in this league one day. But I also like what they did on the back half of this draft too, Carson. I think they get a fringe lottery guy for me and Nick Smith Jr. Uh, Smith Jr. was not particularly efficient at Arkansas last season. And I think it's important to emphasize that he struggled with an Achilles injury uh, throughout the season. So that kind of threw off his rhythm uh, with the team uh, in total. Um, And just kind of getting into a rhythm by himself, so I hope we see some burst, some nice change in pace return to his game. Um, He's even more explosive uh, at the NBA level. Smith Jr. has a really nice feel out of the pick and roll, a really nice in-between game, some of the best uh, just feathery soft touch that I've seen around the rim and in the lane. That's something that I really bank on and I really like. Again, It is a bit crowded in Charlotte, especially in the backcourt. You've got Booknight. You've got LaMelo Ball. You've now got Brandon Miller fighting for minutes either at the two or the three. And so I don't really know if he's got a rotational spot immediately or if Nick Smith Jr. is a guy like they did with Booknight that they're going to send down to the G League immediately. Uh, That being said, I I thought he was a fringe lottery guy, so to get him with their second pick I thought was a home run. And then uh, I like Amari Bailey too, Carson. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan. I like Smith Jr. and Brandon Miller a lot more as picks, but – Uh, I think he's going to be a good catch-and-shooter off-ball. Shot uh, 52% on catch-and-shoot attempts last season. Just 22% contested. He's not a great dynamic creator off the dribble. Uh, Shot just 35% in the mid-range, 37% off the dribble. But uh, I I like Amari Bailey, and I think he could be a guy down the line that gets rotational minutes, has a long wingspan, could be a plus defender, is a plus cutter, uh, an intuitive player. I don't really see him as a primary creator or a guy with the ball in his hands, but I think he could be a decent off-ball weapon. But again, I thought the Hornets hit an absolute home run uh, with Brandon Miller. I thought they got great value with Nick Smith Jr. with their second pick. I just crossed my fingers that the Hornets can confidently develop these guys and bank on them and progress them to star level because that is something that has just frankly been an issue in Charlotte for a long time now, Carson. So they've got a lot of talent that I like. I just want to see these guys progress and, and turn into the pieces that we think they can become.
3: I think Charlotte's a winner here too, but I also don't think that we should be praising their overall drafting prowess historically. Like you mentioned, Booknight and Kai Jones, those were two picks that I liked at the time. I mean, I loved Kai Jones. He had tons of it felt like untapped potential just with his potential skill on the offensive end with this dynamic athleticism and these defensive tools, but that potential remains untapped. Like he's not a rotation NBA player at this point. James Booknight was the 11th pick of the draft. He's not a rotation They're like
1: G League all-stars, Carson. The G League highlights are insane, man. Logan,
3: that's not the goal. (laughs) I know the G League is your passion, perhaps above the NBA itself. I just want to pump the brakes there a little bit. But that doesn't detract from the fact that they made the right pick at number two to me. It wouldn't have been like a disaster if they got Scoot Henderson, right? I mean, that's a phenomenally gifted prospect. But I do agree. Miller has the more malleable versatile skill set that gives him a higher floor. He does things that tend to impact winning with his defensive versatility, with his offensive versatility, the lethal spot-up shooting, the ability to attack in multiple ways out of transition, his feel out of the pick and roll, which I think is impressive, some of the playmaking chops, his manipulation of defenders that's more advanced. You combine that with plus athleticism, all these things, I just think he's a home run wing prospect, and I think is a better fit in Charlotte who is more likely to lead to high-level winning basketball down the line. Nick Smith, that's just a great talent to get at 27, dude. This is a guy who at times looks like a future star guard, just with the dynamism of his off-the-dribble shot making, with the flashes of playmaking, with his twitchiness and fluidity as a mover. He was the number one prospect coming out of his high school class for a reason. The consistency has to be better, really in every phase, and it was a roller coaster for him last year at Arkansas. I agree with you, I don't necessarily see a role for him immediately, just given on how dependent he can be on his own scoring ability, creation off the dribble, and you already have LaMelo and Rogier in that backcourt, but I think he is a long-term, high-upside kind of project that I'm fine with Charlotte taking, it's not like they need win now, guys. Yeah, I want to see them bolster that front court, especially with the questions about the futures of Ubre and maybe Miles Bridges in Charlotte but Miller addresses that at the top of the class and Amari Bailey at 41 I believe it was I'm good with that I think that he is a guy who has a very solid defensive foundation super competitive good athlete you mentioned the spot up shooting Not a guy with a lot of creation upside, but you don't need that in the middle of the second round. So I like what Charlotte did. I also like what Portland did with the number three pick and in the remainder of their draft because they had a no-brainer selection to me. Once Scoot was there, you take him. As I've said before, I think he is more important than Damian Lillard at the point that the Blazers are at just because they are not in a position to easily move into contention. I don't care what the rumors are about trades for stars that they could package around that number three pick. It is not a wise thing to mortgage your future to bring in a Zion Williamson or Carl Anthony Towns when that isn't going to push you over the edge into contention. I think Scoot is unique athletically talking about explosive quickness, quickness, vertical athleticism, and power, has really high playmaking potential with his ability to make advanced reads, with his live dribble passing out of pick and roll, and with his ability to pressure the rim, and then I do think has the tools to be a plus defender, and is not a reliable, proven catch and shooter, which is why I don't think he would have been a very good fit alongside Lamelo. that backcourt would have been crowded, they're both ball-dominant guys, but has shown real flashes with the mid-range pull-up game, mechanically looks okay. I have some faith in his shot panning out. So he was the best guy. I think getting him as a win, he's a foundational piece, and now they're going to have to look themselves in the mirror eventually and move on from Dame because this whole setup doesn't work and they can't be in basketball purgatory forever. Chris Murray at number 23 is just one of my favorite late first-round picks. I think this is a guy with a really high floor. He's going to be 23 when the season starts. So I do understand some of the slippage from him. I mean, this actually isn't any lower than he was expected to go. I think maybe it's a little lower than his talent level dictates he should have. But personal offensive guy. Mismatch attacker as a driver where he plays with great pace and has really impressive touch-skilled finishing. Out of the post, a good Spot up shooter and a guy who will defend multiple positions at a high level and really the most promising young front court piece for Portland. Maybe the approach for them should have been high upside guys all around because I do think they should be adjusting towards this younger timeline. I just think Murray is really good. He's a guy who I want on my time on my team. Period. And then getting Ryan Rupert with the forty third pick, who's been playing for the New Zealand Breakers. I thought was fantastic value. I think Rupert is a highly competitive, really promising defensive prospect, 6'7", with a 7'3", wingspan, unbelievable hands, disrupts ball handlers a ton with his length and his instincts there, is a guy who can block shots as an on-ball defender because of those same traits, and who offensively has some real playmaking chops and transition out of the pick and roll, some real ball handling skill, change in pace. Like, there's a a craftiness to his game along with those great athletic tools. He's got a runner that I like, good in transition, nice body control. So I just think if his shot comes along, I mean, you're talking about the 43rd pick in the draft, that could be a home run. So I thought they added two quality wings, one who's a bit more of a project, one who's very pro-ready, but both of whom I like a lot in terms of the value. And they added their foundational star guard. So I think as they continue to pivot to this future timeline, Portland put themselves in a really good position with this draft.
1: Yeah, I think Portland crushed this draft, Carson, and I first want to thank them for doing the no-brainer thing and taking Scoot Henderson and not overthinking it. Uh, Reportedly, Portland is going to wait until the end of this offseason to make a decision on Damian Lillard I, again, think the right decision is to move Dame. I, I just think that's what you do. You go out and you get future assets. But I think they've set themselves up very well for this next phase uh, of their rebuild. Scoot, I think, the, I think the jumper will translate. He has no issue creating separation with the ball in his hands right now, right? He creates space to get these jumpers off with ease. Uh, one, because of the change in pace, but two, because defenders have to respect the fact that he is so dangerous going mm-hmm. to the hole. Last season, 35% on pull ups, 33% on step backs, 28% from deep, just 24% on jumpers overall. I, you know, I, I like it. I think that mechanically it looks good. I think it's going to translate, um, and I think that's going to improve steadily. Uh, 35% out of the mid range overall. I just think it's going to come uh, with time. Murray, plug-and-play immediately uh, is going to be a good wing from day one. And then Rupair, I had a late first-round grade on, Carson. So to get him that late, I think, is a steal. I called him clamps overseas. We didn't talk about him in the pre-draft process a lot. I want to see what he looks like against NBA-level talent and if he's that good as a defender uh, against guys this caliber. But I like him, too, potential-wise. I think another team out west that crushed their draft was the Los Angeles Lakers, Carson. I think they got an absolute steal uh, with Jalen hood Shafino at 17. Just a tall, crafty, patient pick-and-roll ball handler that I think can be in this rotation from day one, right? Uh, with this new CBA, with this new cap apron and all that, uh, you've got to find budget guys who can play now, right? Mm-hmm. You're losing a guy like D'Angelo Russell in your rotation who you just can't pay. Uh, you're going to have to re-sign Austin Reeves. You're going to have to re-sign Roy Hachimura, I think Hood Shafino not only has really good upside long-term as an on-ball scorer, as an on-ball creator, right? He struggled with his shot throughout the year uh, at Indiana, but uh, shot 37% on pull-up threes, one of the best marks in the draft, I believe fourth best. And then he shot 42% on pull-up twos. So I think there's real upside there as an on-the-ball creator, pull-up jump shooter, stuff like that. He's crafty, patient, out of the pick-and-roll, tall ball handler, can see angles that other guys don't. And again, he's not going to be a great take over the game kind of scorer right now, but he can control the game. He's got real poise. He's real patient. And again, I think the jumper and shot translate over time. You need to maximize this timeline. You need to put good shooting around LeBron. I think the jumper translates, and they need another bench guard that they can rely on. And then in the second round, man, I had a late first-round grade on Max Lewis, too. I had a pepper dime. Wasn't my favorite guy, but... 6'7, 6'10 wingspan, has real plus tools and intangibles as a defender, and then again is going to be an elite catch and shooter uh, off the jump. 44% off the catch. You saw him kind of do it, uh, s- score the ball uh, at all levels and in a, a bunch of different ways uh, at Pepperdine, right? Post ups, pull ups, step backs, attacking close outs. There's a certain jankiness and like lack of fluidity in-, in Max's game on ball that I don't love, but there's upside, I think, as a uh, on-ball creator there I, I don't think that's his role immediately right he's a three and d wing from day one because the ball's not going to be his hands but I think there is a little on-ball creation upside there with him um, has to get a little stronger right I think he's probably a guy that you can attack he's kind of slight framed right now But he's got the tools to improve there and is immediately going to be a plus shooter. So I think right now you've got two guys that can immediately go in this rotation and be plus winning players from day one. But I like both of these guys upside long term. So I think they fit uh, and complement the guys now, but they also could be part of a larger and longer timeline. So I thought the Lakers did a phenomenal job uh, in this draft, Carson.
3: I like the Lakers draft too. Huchofino at 17 is good value, and I think he's going to be asked to play a relatively important role for LA immediately just because we saw how dependent they were on the pick and roll creation from Austin Reeves and D'Lo and tandem throughout this playoff run. And obviously D'Lo disappeared in that Nuggets series and it absolutely cost them, and I do not think he will be back. I do like a lot of Huchifino's game out of the pick and roll. I think he's a very good playmaker. I think he has an advanced handle, some of that shiftiness and pace out of the pick and roll where he can get into the lane. Doesn't get all the way to the rim very consistently. And I do worry a bit about his overall efficiency as a scorer. I believe it was 49% true shooting for him last year. You mentioned the pull-up game is promising, especially for mid-range, but mid-range pull-ups aren't always the most efficient looks. And off-ball... I worry a bit about him as a catch and shooter, 25% from deep on spot ups. But yeah, this is a guy who can run your offense in stretches, who can create shots for himself and others out of pick and roll, and who I think has good tools defensively. I think it's a good value pick. I think it fills a potential need. Overall, I like it. And then Max Lewis, I'm maybe not as high on him defensively as you are. I think he's got good length. But I think he has a lot of flaws there right now. He is slight, as you mentioned, but he's not quick laterally. And I thought just had a ton of lapses mentally in terms of focus. So I'm not super confident in him just coming right into the league and being an impact guy defensively, which is hard to expect of any rookie. I think he's pretty far away, but I really like his offensive game. 44% on catch and shoot threes. And I might like him more as a ball handler than you do. I think he's actually got a pretty smooth game there. I think he's got a lot in his bag. I think he's got long strides and some legit ball handling that allows him to get to the rim off the bounce. And then as a like pull-up jump shooter has got some crosses that he can go right into pull-ups with, jabs, step-backs, He's got something really to him as an all-around offensive player and has made some nice reads out of pick and roll, almost three assists per game. So he was playing for Pepperdine for those who don't know, not the highest level competition and he is almost 21, but at 40, I think a real quality offensive ring, uh, wing and a guy who may be asked to play some meaningful minutes for them just in terms of providing that wing depth. So I like the Lakers draft. I think maybe the most obvious home run here, though, is the Houston Rockets landing Amen Thompson at number four and Cam Whitmore at number 20. I thought Amen is just in a different tier in terms of talent from anybody else who was available. I think he is an incredible athlete at six seven. the quickest first step I've seen from anybody of that height, jumps out the gym incredibly high playmaking ceiling. Houston needed that primary ball handler who they could really believe in, who could create for their other score first guys at a high level. I do believe amen is that with this awesome transition potential and a really high defensive ceiling. It's going to be a question of how honest he can keep defenders in the half court, playing drop coverage, he needs to be more consistent from that floater range, and his jumper needs to be more consistent, period, point blank. But the ceiling is the roof for this kid. I mean, truly superstar potential. I think he was absolutely the right pick. And then Cam Whitmore, dude, we were talking about going five to the Pistons, and I think had one of the more inexplicable precipitous falls that I could think of in recent draft memory he's just a different level of talent than a lot of the guys who went above him like this is a incredibly dynamic athlete at 6'6 235 with a 40 plus inch vert he is a bulldozer getting to the rim he was a good catch and shooter he has some creation for himself with the step backs not overly advanced as an overall on-ball creator his playmaking leaves a lot to be desired right now, but the sheer value of his closeout attacking, spot up shooting, transition with his athleticism, and he wasn't a consistently great defender, but there's undeniably potential there. I mean at number 20, dude, people have talked about the athleticism. It is actually laughable. Like a Thompson, Jalen Green, and Cam Whitmore on the same team. The highlights coming out of Houston are going to be absurd. Yes, all of these guys need to refine their games. They need to learn how to play basketball in a totally winning context. All those things can be true, but it's a very young core. They've got time to figure it out. They've got a good coach coming in now in Ime Udoka. And bottom line,
1: they nabbed phenomenal talent in this class. They got two six foot seven guys with seven foot wingspans and 40 inch verticals. I don't think you can go wrong. I mean, you talk about the absurd value that you get with Cam Whitmore that late in the draft. I think they had the best draft out of anybody, man. I mean, absurd value, absurd athletes. Yeah, they crushed it. Again, they need refinement. They need to play winning basketball, but that all comes with time, and I'm very excited at the Houston Rockets' future.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
1: (laughs) Hi, checking in for... Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com,
1: that's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today. Uh, Another team that I'm glad that drafted for the future, uh, I thought the Brooklyn Nets did a phenomenal job with their back-to-back picks in the first round. Uh, I love Noah Clowney. I think he's got real upside. He's just 19 years old, 6'10", 210 pounds, 7'2", wingspan. Uh, I think long-term needs to fill out a little more and not really a position of need right now for them, right? You've got a guy like Nick Claxton who is almost all defense. But again, with the Nets, you're looking at a long-term thing. You're not really trying to win right now. You're not in championship contention. This is a long-term thing, and I think there's a lot to like about Noah Clowney's game. Uh, His touch on the inside, his ability uh, as a cutter. He shot 69% at the rim in the half court this last season. He shot 67% on all attempts uh, at the rim. And so I think he's going to be a really good roll man, a really good cutter off ball. But I think there's real upside as a pick and popper and a jump shooter in the long term. I like him mechanically. Um, 95% of his jump shots were catch and shoot attempts. He shot those at just a 29% clip. Uh, 34 of 117 right the numbers aren't great but I think long term it's encouraging that he's already shooting that he's getting comfortable with that range and I like him mechanically I think he could be a good jump shooter in the future but defensively is where he really shines Carson defensive field goal percentage of 36 percent this last season that's in the 89th percentile when guys were guarded by Noah Clowney that's ridiculous uh, for a guy this young and i think there's real defensive upside as a four you know as a help side guy and a versatile defender because i don't think he's just a rim protector and help side guy i also think he's a guy that can go out on the perimeter and hold his own so I think he's a versatile defender too that you can slide in at the four or the five long term if he rounds out and gets bigger so i love the clowny pick for long term and then You get a guy like Dariq Whitehead, there's always a spot for shooters in this league. Dariq Whitehead is one of the purest shooters in this draft class. 44% on catch and shoot attempts last season, was a good shooter off the dribble. Uh, Brooklyn will be able to utilize him in a bunch of different actions, spot-ups, pin-downs, DHOs, stuff like that. But again, Whitehead struggled. Uh, I uh, I noted this a couple pods ago. Uh, Has had two major foot surgeries, Uh, injured himself his first week at Duke in team practices, had a surgery immediately after, missed a couple first weeks of the season, had another one early in June to recover it. So it's always tough trying to get that burst in athleticism that was originally there back. If that returns, you're looking at a guy that has a lot more off-the-dribble creation uh, than he showed at Duke because he shot just 44% at the rim in the half court really struggled to finish, really struggled to just get to the rim in general. That really limits him offensively in the long term. So you're getting a really good marksman shooter right now, but if that athleticism and burst returns, you're looking at a guy that could be a plus on ball off the dribble creator and potentially a plus defender as well. He struggled in that realm too, but I'm going to chalk that up to athleticism concerns more than anything else. But uh, I, I thought good value and good long-term upside with both of the guys they got with back-to-back picks. And again, this is a long-term project here in Brooklyn, not a win now. So I like both of their picks in Clowney and Whitehead, both first-round grades for me.
3: Yeah, I'd probably give the Nets a B, B-. I definitely don't think it was the sort of draft that wows you, but I think they got solid value. I prefer Clowney between these two because I think of the defensive and floor-spacing ceiling that he has. You mentioned it, I think a switchable big, fluid mover out there, really good length, and uh, it's not like he's the ultimate eraser, super intimidating shot blocker, but I think even though he's not the biggest big, he actually guards the post pretty well, and uh, yeah, uses his body and hands well, should be a impact guy on that end, and you mentioned the shooting, the numbers may not be great, under 65% from the line, but his willingness to shoot, right? Threes that can sort of set bigs apart, like the trailing three in transition. He'll take that. That's a a relatively advanced, dangerous three for a big. He'll shoot catch and shoot looks from the corner. You don't see a lot of bigs doing that. So I think mechanically his confidence, willingness to take them, I believe in that developing. And Whitehead, listen, I think you're getting a great shooter. I don't think you're getting an overly impressive on-ball creator. I think his handle is below average. I think his playmaking, he has his moments. He also has his boneheaded moments. I don't view him as a real plus there. You mentioned the struggles getting to the rim. He's a hell of a pure shooter. I'm fine with that addition. Bottom line, Brooklyn should be in best player available mode. And I think that both these guys are, again, reasonably good value. You're not going to land a high probability high upside guard here. Like you're not just going to walk into a foundational piece with the 21st or 22nd pick. They got guys who I both think do things that clearly should translate. And I think you can consider that a good draft for them as they continue to build alongside really Macal Bridges is their foundational piece at this point. My last winner who I want to shout out, Logan, is the Utah Jazz who I thought did a really good job. I think bringing in Taylor Hendricks, they now have a fantastic foundation in the front court with Lori Markin and Walker Kessler. We've talked about Hendricks a lot, but definitely to me, one of the 10 best prospects in this class. I had him at number seven on my big board because There is just a very high floor to me with him a multi positional defender, a secondary rim protector, a good rebounder, and a guy who can shoot the hell out of the ball 39% from deep, almost 80% from the line, but also can attack mismatches. 93rd percentile post score, very good weapon in transition. Not going to be a star, in my opinion, but a guy who does a lot of important things to translate to the NBA at a high level and. They've got size, they've got two-way studs, and they've got some offensive pop and some real floor spacing in Utah. I think it's gonna be fun to see how he fits in. Then at number 16, they land a high upside guy in Keontae George, who I had ranked higher than this. I had him at number 12 on my big board. I think Keontae has a really intriguing combination of like advanced perimeter shot making and creation and these flashes of playmaking, when you talk about step backs, tough pull-ups, he's just a hell of a shooting prospect to me. And then out of the pick and roll is a willing passer who does some impressive stuff. Again, makes mistakes. He had more turnovers than assists per game. But the mentality, the vision, the ceiling is there for him. And I think Utah is in a spot where you initially mocked Kayson Wallace to them at number nine. I think that that stabilizing point guard presence who could do what Conley did for them a lot of last year would be great but i also think taking your chances on a dynamic perimeter shot maker who can play on or off ball is uh, a win for them and just one of the best players on the board at that time and then Bryce Sensabaugh number 28 is somebody who we did not talk about a lot in the pre-draft process out of Ohio State but whose game I really am pretty optimistic about. I think this is a guy who has legitimate shot creation to him. 53% from the mid-range off the dribble as a freshman last year and just has a craftiness to him using jabs, using step backs to create space. To me, just a bucket getter and another guy who is going to continue to add talent to this front court. So... I thought Utah did a great job of maximizing value. Maybe they don't get a star out of this class, but I think they get three very talented players in the first round. Yeah,
1: I wasn't in love with Sensiball's game. Uh, I don't know if he's ever a plus defensively, but as a bucket getter, is a pure bucket, man. Uh, somebody that was underrated through the class. I thought Utah had probably one of the three best uh classes uh, of everybody man they really if they get that point guard man i can legitimately maybe see them being a, a, a playoff team next season man i mean they played hard already they had a great offense uh they were engaged defensively like i i legitimately think that utah has that upside if they get that point guard uh, my first loser uh, of the draft is going to be the uh, my first and only loser of the draft actually is going to be the miami heat I don't really get it, Carson. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Uh, they get Jaime Jaquez Jr. out of UCLA. He's 22 years old, and maybe there's something I'm missing, right? Miami's always good at finding studs, at finding dogs, at finding guys that just work in the rotation, right? I mean, we all knew the, we all heard however many numbers, all the undrafted guys down the roster during the playoffs, right? So maybe there's something I'm missing. Maybe there's just a dog factor uh, in, in Triple J here that I'm missing. But I just, I wanted them to go out and get a five-man if he was available. I know the big class wasn't that deep. I was tired of Cody Zeller minutes. I was hoping they'd explore that maybe. Uh, So they don't go out and get him. They get another wing, and I'm, I'm fine with that. But I was hoping for maybe somebody with just a little more athletic tools, right? I think that's what Miami's really missing is they have all these floor spacers, but they're not overly athletically imposing. So they can kind of get picked on defensively. And that's my really big issue with, Jaime, he's really crafty and really versatile. He's got an absurdly good postgame for a guy who's Um, 6'6". They used him as a pick-and-roll ball handler. They used him as a pick-and-roll roll roll man. Uh, He had some shot creation off the dribble, a little bit of a fadeaway. Like, he's just kind of a crafty bucket, just not overly athletic, but... I I picked him as a guy who I really thought could get picked on defensively at the NBA level, in my opinion. At college, he was versatile. You know, they switched him on to bigs. They switched him on the perimeter. At the NBA level, I just see him kind of being a target. I don't think he's big enough to where you can legitimately switch him on to bigs. He's got a 6'10 wingspan, but he's not a great vertical athlete, and he's not crazy strong. Um, I saw him routinely attack closeouts at a really poor level, and I don't think he's Uh, fast enough to contain quicker guards on the perimeter. This is a guy that isn't explosive athletically when creating from the perimeter on offense. He shot just 29% at the rim uh, this past season. He's not really great at attacking closeouts or getting downhill. Um, And at times could be an isolation and score first guy that would disrupt the flow of the offense at UCLA, and I don't really see him being able to do that at the NBA level. So I just think he's... I think he's mid i think he's mid i don't really think he's a complementary piece the biggest thing to me is his athletic limitations carson is i really see him getting picked on defensively uh at the next level like i said miami's track record of scouting guys of drafting is immaculate of developing guys is amazing and they always end up getting dogs so maybe there's a dog element that i'm missing with with Jaime, but i think he's athletically limited and i just think he was kind of mid in every other area so I didn't like the pick, and I thought this was a team that desperately needed to add another rotation guy to reload for this next potential championship run because they're not losing a whole lot of guys. So I was disappointed with the pick. I thought Jaime was a second-round talent at best.
3: I can see the vision here from Miami because Hawkes is 22. I think is relatively pro-ready. I think is... uh, Although an athletically limited defender, a consistent high effort guy, has a high IQ as a helper, offensively is versatile, does bring some solid size as a wing here for a team that was consistently much smaller than their opposition. And they do need to inject a rotation guy, especially with Struess and Gabe Vincent coming available now, not being able to keep those guys on the cheapest possible contracts anymore. I just think it's a reach and I have some of the same concerns about Hawke limitations. I've watched a lot of him as a UCLA guy. I covered ASU basketball for a couple years and just generally pay a good amount of attention to the Pac-12 and he always felt to me like the ultimate college bucket. You mentioned his craftiness, right? You don't see a lot of 6'6 guys getting their repeated post touches and going to work with their pivots and their fakes and their turnarounds. And Hawkes is crafty and effective as hell down there, and I do think he'll be able to attack some mismatches, but I also think he's going to get less touches there. And I think he does have that versatility to be used as a screener, and he is solid spotting up, and I think he's a pretty solid passing prospect. But I just think when you consider his athletic limitations vertically and in terms of lateral quickness... That's going to limit his defensive impact no matter how much effort he plays with and how smart he is. And he's really a mediocre perimeter shooter, despite being very good out of the mid range, under 33% from deep in a four year college career. Like, I just think that's kind of who he is as a shooter at this point. And being 22. It is a reach to me. I was not a big fan of this pick. And I think if you're going to take a win now wing, I would have preferred a Chris Murray for them, who has tons of offensive versatility, who has better size, who has much better defensive tools. That would have been my preferred pick if they were going to go that direction. My loser is the Washington Wizards. And we were both very surprised on our live stream when they took Bilal Koulibaly at number seven. And It's not that I dislike Koulibaly. I had him as my number 14 prospect, a lottery kind of guy. He's just too raw in my opinion. And this is exacerbated by the fact that they traded up, given up a couple of second rounders to move up one pick with the Pacers. When Jairus Walker was a superior prospect, I do not believe that Indiana was going to take Koulibaly. It just felt like they got burned in that respect as well. I do see a real 3 and D ceiling with Koulibaly, like he is a very good athlete, and he's a good cutter, he's good in transition, he's good as a straight line driver, closeout attacker, he can finish around the rim, he has these flashes of good ball handling at high speeds, not super consistent there though, and I think all around in terms of advanced offensive skill is really lacking, does not project as a creator to me, one of the youngest guys in this class, sure, not even 19 years old yet, but I don't really see that in his future. I think it's going to be predicated on athleticism, defense, and what kind of shooter he can be. And his shooting is just okay right now. Mechanically looks fine. 36% from deep, 63% from the line. Not something I'm confident in being a high-end trade. I think he'll probably be okay there. Defensively, I do think he's going to be awesome. Top of the line prospect. 6'7", 7'3", wingspan. Good feet, good frame, high effort. But if you're going to go for the two-way guy maybe they see a higher ceiling here than I do I just think you can only go so far without that like real sort of offensive feel and creativity and playmaking shops which I don't think he has there were just better multifaceted two-way guys available to me like Jairus Walker who I think has shown more offensive skill who I think is a very impressive athletic prospect with his combination of power and quickness and verticality while being almost 250 pounds and who's going to be a really good defensive prospect, more proven as a passer, at least as proven as a shooter. Tons of roles I can see for him offensively. Hendricks, who we already talked about, maybe doesn't have quite as high a ceiling as a walker, but I think has a really high floor and just a better prospect all around to me This felt like a reach and we'll see how they handle this in terms of player development, because it's going to be a challenge and it's going to be a bit of a project. I don't really see a star ceiling for Koulibaly. And then their only other pick in this draft taking uh, Vukakic at 42 is fine. I I haven't watched a ton of him, but I do like his shooting skill. He's got some fluidity at 611 to me, just a a fine pick there. This is really about the reach and the trade up at number seven, and the fact that they give up Trace Jackson Davis as part of their whole extended deal with the Warriors, who I just thought was unequivocally one of the best value picks of the draft at number 57. That's just one last little ouch for the Wizards in uh, an up and down week, I would say, as they attempt to do this full rebuild.
1: Yeah, I thought Koulibaly was a reach. If they traded back, you know, tail end of the lottery and nabbed him, I think it's fine. I, mean, I think it's a fine pick. But with other guys on board, I agree. I thought they should have maybe explored another direction. Uh, there are some other notable teams that I think we should get into, Carson, um, that whose drafts really intrigued me. Uh, I really was intrigued by the Minnesota Timberwolves draft uh, you mentioned You know, apparently, man, I'm still hearing that Damian Lillard could be dealt and could be dealt to, or excuse me, uh, that Scoot Henderson could could potentially still be dealt, and maybe Carl Anthony Towns is a potential guy that could get moved in that. Um, If I'm Minnesota, you know, that's a no-brainer. I'm pulling the trigger on that in a heartbeat, but I'll be intrigued if if anything like that goes down, if Cat gets shipped out. But the important thing here is that Minnesota is gearing up for a new timeline for a a new phase of, of minnesota timberwolves basketball right we thought it was going to be cat and ant leading them to the promised land anthony edwards is superman anthony edwards is michael jordan anthony edwards is the building block the rock of this franchise and so you are now building for the timeline that is post cat post rudy gobert i anticipate cat getting moved at some point this off season, uh and obviously you're just handcuffed to Gobert's contract uh until uh it's up so You're now building for the future with Anthony Edwards at the lead, and I thought one guy that could be a core part of that is Leonard Miller, right? I think they're building a pretty good foundation right now with McDaniels, with Ant, um, and some other pieces that they have, but I like Leonard Miller for the long term. He's a really good finisher. Uh, inside uh, the arc and as a roll man, as a cutter in the dunker spot. 73% inside the restricted area, 69% inside five feet. He had 12 points in the paint per game. I just think he finishes with both hands really well. He deals with contact, uh, absorbs it really well. And he's also good at avoiding it and finishing around the room. I just think he's a flat-out good finisher. He's a menace in the open floor Uh, When you have space, his long strides, he is able to go coast-to-coast really fast. Uh, It's just a long, really good athlete. He's a good rebounder. I think he's going to be able to attack mismatches off the catch. Um, He can blow by big men. He can overpower guards. And then defensively, I like him, too. A steal and nearly a block per game. He's a really mobile defender for a guy his size. I think he's got to get better at attacking closeouts routinely. We just kind of overcommit, get blown by, but I think he's got real upside there and as a help side rim protector. Um, He is really limited offensively right now. I think the shot has to come along for him to be maxed out right there. Doesn't really have a handle uh, routinely, just committed turnovers, uh, traveling, losing the ball, making bad decisions as a passer. So I think there's room for improvement. And of course... Uh, has to improve as a shooter 31% on jump shots sub 31% on uh, catch and shoot attempts a lot of clips just airballing threes like I think mechanically needs to retool his jumper a little bit but there's potential there Um, but he's really young man I mean he's still 18 years old like this is a guy that I think down the line has a lot of potential as a really effective role man uh, as a pick and popper and as a real plus defender and rebounder and again You're going for high upside to get him that late in the draft, I think, is a steal. And then they also get uh, UCLA's uh, Jalen Clark, and I think that's just an utter steal. 6'5", 205 pounds, 6'9 wingspan, has plus tools uh, as a creator with the ball in his hands, but is a dog as a defender and a rebounder. Mm -hmm. One national defensive player of the year, 2.6 steals per game, is a good rebounder for a guy his size. And so whatever offense you get out of him, he was just a 25% catch and shooter last season whatever offense you get out of him is a plus I look at him as like a kind of like a Josh Akogi or something like that somebody that Minnesota actually had you know what I mean good athlete dog good rebounder and just just a beastly defender one of the best defenders in the draft so Clark's a guy who can be in the rotation immediately and I think Miller's a really high upside guy long term so you know nothing that's crazy significant Minnesota Obviously not in control of their first round picks. They sold all of them away in the Rudy Gobert trade. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I thought they did really well with their picks uh, in this one. You get a plug and play guy in Clark and then a really high upside guy in Leonard Miller long term.
3: Yeah, I agree. They made something out of nothing, basically. I had Leonard Miller from G League Ignite as my number 19 prospect in this class. I think he is. Raw, but he has the potential to do so many things at a high level, like really good athlete, great physical tools, awesome in transition, great rebounder, uh, great finisher around the rim, really good tools to be a high impact, highly switchable, multi-positional defender, and uh, has the flashes as a creator, like does some legitimately impressive stuff as a playmaker, I agree with you. He's gotta improve his handle, his composure, his decision-making needs to be a more consistent jump shooter. I don't love his mechanics. I do think it's promising that he's 79% from the line. Like, I don't view that as something that just, you have to write off something that won't work for him at the next level. I could see him becoming a solid jump shooter. And if he does, I mean, there is like star potential there. I'm not gonna say that it's likely, but you don't often see this blend of athleticism and size and two-way upside and you know, some of the playmaking stuff. So I really like Leonard Miller. I think that's a good pickup for them. And then Jalen Clark, it's just a specialist basically at this point. Like I'm not super optimistic about his offensive impact, but I agree with you defensively, I think does an awesome job on ball, does an awesome job forcing mistakes and sort of a free safety role. That's just a guy who is going to get minutes in certain matchups, who is going to be a pesky defender, make people uncomfortable. And with the 51st pick, that's good value. So Minnesota, it is frustrating, dude, organizationally, just when you think about the fact that I understand them wanting to go all in on this timeline, but Anthony Edwards is 21 years old, and they are now in a position where they can't acquire through the draft that blue-chip talent to put alongside him. So I agree with you. I mean, a trade for scoot if that were on the table would be fantastic for them i love jaden mcdaniels but it's just the young core is not in development there so these were good pickups but they can't solve that fundamental issue which is the rudy gobert trade and what that's done to their construction i want to talk about the warriors logan when we talk about interesting drafts because this is a team that had a very active draft day beforehand obviously trading jordan Poole for chris paul And they take Brandon Podzemski at number 19, who I think is an awesome fit offensively out of Santa Clara, really feels like a Warriors guy, an elite shooter, like 40% from deep and does it out of DHOs off screen to some extent, pulling up from deep range, really a complete elite shooting prospect, one of the few best in this class, but also beyond that, has like real on-ball creation and playmaking chops, a nasty floater game, and a deep scoring bag. He's a guy who, as a bigger ball handler, will attack mismatches out of the post and has like a hook, has phenomenal touch out of there, and then has inventive passing, like high-velocity whips, and can make a ton of passes when he's playing at his own pace, in control, manipulating defenders out of pick and roll in the half court. And he makes good decisions. He makes quick decisions, really good ball handler. Like this is a guy who I think you can put in pick and roll and against second units can create really good shots and who you can also put in an off ball roll and know that he is going to be a lethal shooter, a guy who can work his way into the lane and get shots in that sort of short mid-range area. Really, the concern with Podzemski and the reason he's not a lottery guy because offensively he's that good is that I think he's going to be attacked defensively. I think it is a legitimate concern. Although he has solid size, he's limited athletically, really struggles with quick guards, not good containing them at the point of attack. And just generally allows a lot of easy drives just doesn't impose himself physically I think needs to get a whole lot better on that side of the ball or else he's gonna be at times unplayable maybe in playoff matchups because you get hunted if you are exploitable like that I do also wonder if he's a bit less of an ideal fit now that CP3 is in the picture because You don't want to just entrust a rookie guard with, like, running your bench unit, and I think that's a role that the Warriors have been looking to fill for a long time, and I do think that staggering CP3 Steph minutes, CP3 is a really good solve there. I also do think that's a role that Podzemski potentially could have filled, so maybe he still does some of that. I do still think that he works as a secondary creator because of his off-ball shooting, but could have been fun to see him try to take that role on. I really like him offensively, but... The pick that I prefer from the Warriors, we already mentioned, is Trace Jackson Davis at number 57 out of Indiana. 23 years old is, to me, the only possible reason that he could have fallen this far because there is so much that this dude does well. An extremely athletic rim finisher, elite leaper, a guy who can just go up there and get lobs and has a great second jump is an awesome finishing weapon as a cutter, as a roller. But beyond that, really good in transition. That can be as a rim runner or as a grab-and-go guy because he has a level of comfort as a ball handler for a big that is really impressive and is a damn good playmaker. Four assists per game, does some advanced stuff like live dribble passes he's whipping with one hand, throwing these jump passes, is a good short roll decision maker. And his handle allows him to do some attacking facing up. He's got this agility and creativity as a finisher around the rim beyond just his sheer athleticism. And then defensively, I think is a legit high-level rim protector, Seven-one wingspan, 2.9 blocks per game, and is an agile mover, switchable, great rebounder. I mean, one of the most productive players in college basketball, period. He was putting up like 21, 11, 4, and 3 for a reason. And... Uh, he's not going to be a floor spacer and you know he doesn't have great size he's 6-9 he's got solid length great athleticism but at times out of the post that's not really his strength as a defender but i think when you talk about rim protection decision making athletic finishing the warriors could certainly use more size more rotation caliber players there and more rotation caliber bigs they don't care that he's 23 years old they're committing to this all-in window they just traded jordan Poole for chris paul so i love this pick for them i think it is up there for the pick of the draft i think he's a rotation dude immediately and they needed that
1: 100 percent. i was absolutely astonished uh that trace jackson davis fell this far i had a late first round grade on him i thought like you said man play immediately i also think uh He's a smart pick and roll defender too on that end. Outside of what he brings, like again, he's there's just veteran polish here with Trace Jackson Davis that you have to love. He's also a good short roll decision maker. I think he fits with the Warriors. And again, you need guys that can play right now. You needed size. I thought it addressed some big needs. And I like also I like Podzimski's uh, offensive game as well, dude. I thought I thought it was a really good draft for the Warriors. Um, my final team that I think was really interesting. Uh, in the draft that is the Dallas Mavericks and I did not love uh, their first round selection with Derek Lively Uh, I I thought it was a bit of a reach for him I thought he was a mid first round kind of guy I thought at that pick uh, with the Cam Whitmores of the world available uh, I I thought maybe should have gone with that you know I think a valuable wing or a floor spacer or something like that just a little more valuable and Again, I think Derek Lively needs time to get better, man. I just I don't know if he's a G League guy off the bat. I don't know if they plan on giving him a lot of minutes. There's just a lack of polish, right? He's just kind of a straight up big dude right now, seven one with a seven foot seven wingspan. And when you look at big value across the league, I thought maybe could have explored a, uh, another rotational guy that you could pay the league minimum, uh, a la Javale McGee or something like that. Exploring bringing him back and uh, having him. Take the five spot. So I didn't love the lively pick. I just think there's a lack of polish there. There's a lot of room for improvement in terms of finishing and filling out his frame. And yeah, just overall polish, man. Uh, Also, average, you know, over five fouls uh, per 40 minutes, too. There's just room for improvement there. I I do need to mention they get Rashawn Holmes, I think is intriguing offensively what he brings to the table as a spacer um, alongside Luka Doncic in the pick and roll game. Not a great rebounder, not a great defender but offensively bring some creation there. I do like the other guy that they got. That's OMP. Uh, How do you say his name, Carson? I don't want to butcher this, man. Olivier Maxence Prosper. Yeah, he's going to be OMAX, OMP, uh, something like that from now on uh, on the channel. 6'8", 230 with a 7'1 wingspan, 35-inch vertical. So they do actually go out and get an athletic wing with tools that I like defensively, who I think has a decent offensive game. Should be a decent floor spacer alongside Luca. I just really hated the first-round pick, man. I hated reaching for Derek Lively like that. I thought he was like a guy you take in the 20s or post-lotto. And again, I don't know if he's playable immediately. That's the thing to me. If you don't get rotation enough rotation guys alongside Luca that can competently defend, that can competently shoot, I just thought there were other routes they, they could have gone that just better value at that pick that fit their timeline a little bit better now. But I I like OMP with their second pick. So I was a little bit conflicted with Dallas. I just thought there were better players on board that they could have gone with at 11. Or 12, excuse me. Yeah, the Mavs
3: draft has grown on me because uh, my initial hope throughout was that they would land a really good wing at number 10. And I thought, oh my God, Here's Kim Whitmore sitting there for him. You get a potential two-way plus, a good athlete, a close-out attacker. This guy's exactly what you need. It's good value, take him. And then they trade back to 12 and they take Lively, which to me is still a reach. And I think it's for a lot of the reasons that we've talked about previously, which is that Lively has some intriguing things. Like he has a amazing frame 7-1 with a 7-7 wingspan he's a massive target 97th percentile pick and roll finisher last year because I mean you can just throw up a lob and he'll probably go up there and get it and I think he's got soft hands I think he's a coordinated mover for that size and then he has this super high defensive potential not just because of his great rim protection but also because he's mobile and he's capable of uh, Switching out onto the perimeter. So I see the vision there. I see that this is a position of need unequivocally, but I do not think he's going to be above a replacement level big. I mean, I don't think that he'll even be that as a rookie. I think he's too raw. I think he is too underdeveloped offensively. Like, yeah, he can catch and finish open looks, and he's a bigger target than average. And you know what? He may be reasonably productive and efficient playing with Luka Doncic because who isn't, right? That guy just manufactures great looks for bigs out of pick and roll. Ask Dwight Powell how it's been playing with Luka. I think he's quite enjoyed it. So Lively, you know, could thrive to some extent in that role. But I just think you're not getting any of the bonus stuff from him offensively. Not a floor spacer, uh, not a guy who can really even attack mismatches out of the post. We talked about his tendency to pass up open looks, make things harder than they need to be at times as a finisher. And uh, defensively, the ceiling is super high, but I also think you mentioned the tendency to foul. He's a guy who can be out of position, isn't the most consistently impactful defender. And bottom line is very few rookies are good defenders. Lively is a guy who I think is far enough away there's a reason he was playing 20 minutes a game this past season at the collegiate level. And so if you're going to drop him in to Dallas and say, okay, be the starting center for a contender, that seems ambitious or an aspiring contender at the very least. But they did move back. They did add value because they get rid of Davis Bertans, which allows them to use their full mid-level exception. Very bad contract. And they're able to use their trade exception to get Rashawn Holmes, who I've always been a fan of, Logan, just because he's got one of the sexiest floater games in the league. And yeah, wasn't really uh, a remotely important rotation guy for the Kings, but they're adding at least another playable big who, with legit offensive skill, I mean, he will be their best big offensively if they let Christian Wood walk. Not a good option defensively, but you know, they're working with scraps here. Like they're not going to be able to just turn out the ideal two-way big that they want. So those two in tandem, you feel better about your situation at the five spot than you would have, even if Lively is a reach. And then getting Omax, as we'll call him, I thought was a good job. And I thought that was their biggest need, right? An actual quality two-way wing after they lost Dorian Finney-Smith. He's a very good vertical athlete. He's a very good cutter. 34% on catch and shoot threes. I think will be a solid shooter. And most importantly, is a great defensive prospect with his physicality, his effort, his length. Just got great tools on that end. So I don't think he's a guy with creation upside. That's not what they need. I wish he was a bit quicker attacking closeouts. He doesn't always get by guys. And in the lane, he can at times be a little overly tentative as a finisher and do a lot of pump faking and pivoting. And sometimes he gets people to bite with that. And sometimes he doesn't. So he's not like the ideal three and D wing. And I think he's going to have to consistently shoot the ball well at the next level, which he's not a great shooting prospect. So I don't think you can just check that box immediately, but they met their two biggest needs. They may not have gotten my favorite version. I'm not the most confident in these guys coming in and immediately having like positive impacts and being super refined. But I thought that they ended up doing a pretty solid job, especially when you consider the little bit of contract manipulation that they were able to work out with those trades. So All in all, I feel better about Dallas now than I did when they first picked Lively at 12 because in a vacuum, his value is just not that of the 12th pick. There are better basketball players on the board there. Okay, last really interesting team that I want to talk about is the Denver Nuggets. Just because uh, this is the defending champions and they really actively tried to work their way into this draft, swinging the deal with the Pacers, and they end up picking at 29, 32, and 37. And there's definitely a theme with the guys who they take. You get Julian Strother out of Gonzaga, one of the best shooting prospects in this class, 41% on catch-and-shoot threes, 45% on spot-up threes, really elite shooting prospect, 21 years old, ready to contribute immediately. Jalen Pickett, I think is the pick that I might like even more. 23 years old, again, they're not shying away from taking pro-ready guys, nor should they because that's exactly what they need. They're trying to contend. And uh, this is a guy who I think can command a second unit for them if Bruce Brown leaves. He played in a very high volume role at Penn State. 18, 7.5, and, and 6.5 and a, a game where his average is so extremely productive, but... What I like is he's got really good presence out of the pick and roll. He's very physical as a driver. He does a good job of bumping guys, getting to his spots as he wants. Very patient, very controlled. Does a great job of trapping defenders in jail, as they say, sealing them off on his back with those hostage dribbles, and is a really good shot maker from that intermediate area. Very crafty, creating shots for himself, spins, fakes. I like his floater touch and I think is a guy who's going to be able to create shots for his teammates as well. So they got two guys with clear pro ready skill sets and then Hunter Tyson, I think is maybe a bit of a reach because I feel like his value is really predicated on shooting, but I do think he's a very good shooter. I think he's another old guy, like he's 23 too, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's going to be targeted a bit more defensively. It doesn't necessarily have that same creation to his game, but all in all, I mean, they added a lot of shooting with two of these picks and they added a guy who can run their second unit. And so I think they did a pretty solid job overall, especially when you consider that they were determined to be an active participant in this draft and to get better. And I think they did so.
1: Yeah, I loved the Julian Strother pick. He is one of the most deadly spot-up options in the draft. And you can't go wrong, right? You add shooting aroundside Nikola Jokic. Win. Absolute win. Um, So those guys are just maximized by having him on the floor. Yeah, I I thought they did a a great job. I I like the picket selection as well, too. And who cares about if these guys are older, man? Can they ball? Can they ball right now? Cool. Let's put them in a rotation. Uh, well, but I'm super let me excited. just say,
3: a lot of teams would care. The Denver Nuggets have no reason to care. Like, I think maybe some people would look at some of these guys and say, oh, are they reaches? Because that's not where I saw them on anybody's draft board. But you have to consider that the Nuggets are drafting with a contending mindset. Like, they're not going to take Bilal Koulibaly, who's 18 years old. Well, they would have taken him at 29. But you understand my point. They want pro-ready guys, and
1: that's what they got with all three of them. 100% and I'm super excited. Strother was uh, one of my favorite uh, late uh, first round guys and I'm glad that they nabbed him. I got a couple honorable mentions uh, real quick uh, now here at the end. Just shout out the Oklahoma City Thunder getting one of my favorite prospects, Caseon Wallace. <laughs> I love Caseon Wallace. Uh, I want to build a Fort Knox of Caseon Wallace stock. I just want to own it all and have a monopoly on Caseon uh, Wallace and anytime anybody brings up his name, uh, I want to charge them. Uh Yeah, I want to own all the case on Wallace Stock is what I'm getting at. I think he's a beast. A little weird that Oklahoma City has basically three primary ball handlers, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like, I thought I envisioned Wallace as a guy that could immediately step in and bring his veteran instincts, presence, and IQ, and playmaking and be a starting caliber guard immediately. That's not going to be his role here. He's going to command the second unit, but Oklahoma City now has three premier you know, I think Giddy and SGA are still in another tier than Kayson, but three premier ball handlers and decision makers for all 48 minutes every night. And then another one of my favorite prospects, uh, shout out to Chicago Bulls for signing uh, Adama Sonogo as an undrafted free agent. I didn't, I, I don't understand him going to Chicago as much. I mean, they might lose Vucevic. I don't know if he's going to get rotational minutes here immediately. I wanted him to go to a more uh, big, needy team, but I love Sonogo's game. Was disappointed that he didn't get drafted, but I knew whatever team signed him would be getting a steal. I think even though he was undrafted, is rotational uh, immediately. So shout out to the Bulls and Thunder for picking up two of my favorite guys in the draft. There you go. You had to bring up Kaysan Wallace, didn't you? Of course, of course.
3: Yeah, that was interesting. I'm really excited to see these Nuggets dudes. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of role are they entrusted with. Strother is another guy who I think immediately gets on the floor because of his ability to defend both on and off ball, I think is a a good guy there. And Pickett, like, it's funny because there's definitely shades of Bruce Brown in his game. I don't know, just with sort of like the unconventional play style for a guard doing lots of work in the interior very good positional rebounder uh, sort of a just do it all weapon i think he's more of a like primary ball handler dictate how things go kind of guy but i could see him filling that role reasonably well and i think he's a capable shooter off the ball it's going to be fun and you're right just giving Jokic more shooting is always a good idea so there you have it guys Draft season is over, but boy, was it a lot of fun. I love this time of year always and wouldn't have rather talked about it with anyone else, Logan, and appreciate all you guys tuning in. So if you enjoyed this one, then as always, please subscribe to the Volume YouTube page. You can find all of our content there. You can also listen to our podcasts on all audio platforms. You can follow us across social media, TikTok and Instagram at NerdSesh, Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh, and you can join our Discord. Where you can really just talk basketball, football with us whenever you want. That's at the link tree across our social media bios. And you can also buy some merch. Flex that hoodie, Logan. The flags behind both of us. You can get yourself a nice Nerd Sesh hat like this one. You can do all that at the Volume store at thevolume.com. So with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh.